Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Today's topic, today's guest is going to be kind of a follow-up on a show that we did maybe a week ago. Um, we had Svi Gluck, who is the founder and director of Amudim, that helps uh, the Jewish community in issues of crises. And one of the things that we touched upon when we spoke to Svi was the fact that there are certain crises that are coming up in the Jewish community today that there's certain shame associated with them. Um, you know, Amudim uh, works with drug addiction and works with, um, you know, people that were abused and molested and offers them counseling. Those are kind of some of their main areas. And when I spoke to him about why the shame is involved in these things. The interesting thing is that earlier in the show, we had had on another guest who was very big into High Lifeline and into Yachad, into areas where people in the Orthodox community are sick or have disabilities. And I said to him, why are there is there shame in one area and not the other area? And Tzvi offered a very interesting insight. He said, 20 years ago, you couldn't talk about cancer. You couldn't talk about people that you know, had um, different types of developmental disabilities. It was the same shame 20 years ago for those issues that some of these more like mental health issues are today. And what was so nice about this sort of realization or what he explained, because I wasn't religious yet 20 years ago, was to see the hope that when we talk about issues enough and when we normalize being different or, you know, having some sort of, you know, trouble in our life, we can get there as a community. And what he said was even greater at the end that it really inspired me. He spoke about uh, a man who started an organization called Doria Sharim to help end Tay-Sachs. He, he, this man had lost a few kids to Tay-Sachs and he um, dedicated his life to eradicating this disease by having uh, couples match up or if, you know, sort of register their DNA before they got married. And they actually closed the Tay-Sachs wing of this hospital that was geared to the Jewish community. And so there's a lot of hope with that. So today's guest, Lisa Tversky, um, is a board member of an organization called Nefesh. And this is an organization that handles mental health issues in the Orthodox community. It brings together rabbis and mental health professionals. And we certainly have some, some serious issues uh, occurring today. There have been uh, far too many suicides happening of late. There's drug addiction. There, you know, it's hard to know exactly the number of um, you know, abuse cases, of child abuse cases, because no one's ever done those studies. But um, if you look at the news, it sure feels like it's happening more than we'd ever wanted to. And so um, it's very exciting that there is an organization like Nefesh out there that is trying to talk about these issues and work through these issues and find solutions to these issues so that we can hopefully turn the mental health issues, I don't know what to say, like Tay-Sachs to eradicate it completely because it's not quite the same thing where you could just keep couples from, you know, matching up if they have DNA issues, but to, to really get people the help they need as they need it and to remove the shame and the stigma um, so that people aren't afraid to get help or aren't afraid to, you know, do what they need to do when these issues arise. So um, we're very excited to have Lisa uh, Tversky on our show today. Lisa is a licensed social worker. She maintains a private practice in Brooklyn and lectures around the country. Uh, she's on the board of uh, directors of Nefesh International, and she's recently published a book entitled I'm Abused. I'm, I'm So Confused, Am I Being Abused? Guidance for the Orthodox Jewish Spouse and Those Who Want to Help. This is a book about domestic abuse in the Orthodox community. Lisa, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank 
you so much for having me. Sure. So these are important issues. We need to talk about them more and more until we, you know, find a way to, like I said earlier, I don't know if we can ever quite eradicate such a situation, but certainly to make people feel more comfortable to know how to get the help that they need. So I guess if you could just tell us, so there's, I know there's an upcoming event. There's a a conference for Netfish that's happening next week from... When, what, what are the dates of the conference? So the conference is the 24th through the 27th. It's a okay. four-day conference, although people can come just for Thursday or just for Sunday for the day. And, you know, if that's all their schedule allows or there are people that come for the entire thing over the weekend, Shabbos is always very special. Um, and it's providing a wide array of trainings and workshops on different topics that the from Orthodox mental health professionals that come to the conference are going to benefit from, both in terms of being able to learn uh, about these issues or learn from the people who they don't usually have access to on various topics um, in an environment that's comfortable with colleagues who are like-minded. And it's just really an amazing experience to be there in terms of for the networking and the collegiality, but also in terms of what you take away with uh, training-wise as, as a mental health professional. So I saw that So this is a conference for mental health professionals, rabbis, educators. Let's say there's just a regular person who you know, likes to um, listen to their friends talk or help them with their problems as someone who just sort of has an interest in mental health but is not professional. Could they also go? Would they get something out of it? Is it appropriate? Um, they could definitely also go, but it is geared towards the mental health professional. We, you know, we feel like the mental health professionals really need to have top-notch training in order to be able to help the community in the way that they should be helped. Um, the com- somebody from the community who's seeking help often wants to speak to somebody who's also from the Orthodox community, and we want to make sure that our professionals do their continuing education um, at a high level. And so the workshops are at a high level. Uh, somebody who's a layperson, it's not that they're not going to understand what's going on, but it, the workshops are really building on years of training, years sure. of schooling. Um, so it is geared towards, towards, that, towards that status. Um, so can you give us, we spoke a little about what uh, the Nefesh Conference does. Can you take us back to some of the history behind it? There's always, it seems to me, when someone starts someone, someone starts a business, someone starts an organization, there was some problem they were trying to fix. So can you tell us, are you familiar with kind of the history of how this got started, why it got started, when it got started? Well, to some degree. I mean, I was at the first conference, which actually this year is the 20th anniversary of the first conference. Um, We missed a year somewhere, somehow, so it's the 19th conference, but it's actually the 20th anniversary. Um, And I was at the first and second and third and almost every single one, Um, but I'm not one of the founders of the organization. I think that, from my knowledge, it was really an effort to, when you're practicing as an Orthodox mental health professional and oftentimes in the Orthodox community, you know, there's a lot that sort of gets heaped on your shoulders. In general, when you're working with serious issues, whether it's domestic violence or whether it's, you know, an anxiety disorder or substance abuse or, or child abuse or sexual abuse, it, it, you need, regardless of where you're at in the world or where your, your community is, you need that um, oasis of self-care and of connection with others, of recharging your batteries, of 
re- getting your knowledge up to the next level. And I think the founders really wanted that to be available to them in an environment that not only nurtured them from the perspective of recharging yourself in your in your mental health professional capacity, but also as a from mental health mm-hmm. practitioner. And so this, there weren't there wasn't any gathering before this of you know for the community by the community over a Shabbos that's spiritual, that, that really kind of feeds all parts of us so that we can go back into the community and, and deal with these issues and to be able to come together so that when I hear about somebody or get a referral or get a call about somebody somewhere far off, I say, oh, I met somebody at the Nefesh conference. I could reach out to them and find out what are the local resources in England or in Israel or even in Argentina. Uh, you know, we have people coming from all over the world and, many, and to be able to connect to and and network is amazing. Oh, how many people generally come to this conference? Um, around some, we've had anywhere from three to over four hundred mental health professionals, depending on the year. So we're we're closer to the four hundred mark at this point um, this year, and uh, it's 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 amazing to be with that many you know mental health professionals all doing and and working in the same in the same field, in the same way, but with varied experiences and knowledge to bring to the table. So, you know, obviously there's conferences just of mental health professionals in general. And so at an Orthodox conference, obviously the food's going to be kosher and Shabbos is going to happen. Is there talk of how sort of Jewish thought or, you know, philosophy intersects with mental health? Are are those sort of areas that some of the uh, sessions cover? Yes, actually. We have um, the Shabbos Friday night plenary um, with uh, Rabbi Dr. David Fox, who is a psychologist and has served as a, as a dian, um, and Rabbi Avram Union, and Yitzhi Horowitz, who's a mental health practitioner, and they're sort of doing a plenary on that very subject actually. And then there's another panel discussion on Sunday with Dr. Nachum Klafter and Dr. Yehuda Krohn and Ilana Rosen, who are also talking about, you know, how does it intersect? How, what are the, what are the tensions? What are the, um, what are the issues that, that come up? I mean, the panels are different from each other, but that is definitely something that comes that, that mental health professionals and maybe lay people as well and lay people in your practice uh, come up against, and it's something that definitely gets addressed at the conference, whether formally but also in the side conversations between colleagues. So I know I'm not a mental health professional, although I have a couple uh, social workers in my family. Yeah. Uh, I think I sort of tend towards more of like, you know, always being that natural listening ear and trying to give advice. And mm-hmm. people certainly come to you advice when you're a speaker, kind of when I'm done talking to people. I'm sometimes sure. think that I have the answer to everything. And I, right. I do find myself to be an insightful person. Although because even like the mental health world is sort of like a newer thing, right? I'm saying it wasn't hundreds of years right. ago. I, right. right. I'm saying Freud, I guess, kind of... Uh, you know, kind of broke some uh, yeah, things yeah. there in terms of what he did historically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I discovered something interesting in the Torah just in terms of finding a, you know, a related point. Mm-hmm. I thought that I had discovered sort of a very clever question back when I was in seminary studying in Israel. And I said to my rabbi, well, what about this one? If you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, what if you hate yourself? So then are you supposed to hate your neighbors you hate yourself? <laughs> so he kind of like looked at me for a second and he said, Allison, the Torah is meant for healthy people. 
if you're not healthy first, you can't begin. And I was just like, whoa, like mind blown. Like, Yeah. Yeah, it's really big. And honestly, as someone that works in really my field is Jewish outreach, you know, Mm -hmm. and I I thought that Jew in the City, we had started off like sort of reaching out to people that were less affiliated. And what I've learned is that actually people that are very affiliated, maybe in some cases need the most outreach and the most sort of, you know, showing them why this is meaningful and beautiful. Um, But what what I've seen also, you know, working maybe more with the observing community, but then also for the the people that might become observant, because you see sometimes in the Balchuva community, people that kind of don't have things in order mentally, and then they become religious, and that's certainly not um, a Band-Aid for that, is that those things must be in order first, that it's not about, you know, oh, like, you know, is this person religious yet, and when will they start keeping this mitzvah if I see someone now, you know, who um, does not have that stability going on, you know, even if we started this initiative, Project Makom, for... Right. Yes, I've heard amazing things. Um, either people who have left the Haredi world who are on their way out. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to make sure that there's sort of a baseline of stability before we talk spirituality because we just say, like, that's not what you should be busy with right now. Do you have any thoughts about, you know, kind of mental stability and religion and kind of uh, how those two play together? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, in general, when you're from the mental health practitioner per- perspective, we're always trained to meet the client where they're at. And if the client is in a struggle, we don't start talking to them about their spirituality. Mm -hmm. It's not really, I mean, some clients will bring in their spirituality as part of their struggle, and then that's where they're at, and that's where the treatment goes, because it's probably an expression of something that's going on with them. But, you know, and I think that that's a line, and that, that that's another area of discussion that sometimes comes up at the conference where you're sort of saying to yourself, you know, you have to be able to be there wherever the there is of the client. And if the there of the client is something that is different than your value system, whatever the value system is, or wherever part of the value whatever part of the spectrum of the value system you're on or the religious spectrum that you're on, it's really about staying with where what the client is struggling with. And if what the client is struggling with is their emotional stability or their substance abuse or their depression or their anxiety, certainly as you're saying, it's not the role anyway of the mental health professional, but it's, it's just not healthy for the person just to sort of, you know, try and schlep them, them to another type of discussion or another type of agenda rather than dealing with what they're bringing to the table as their struggle. That, that's really our, our goal and our focus is to help them with what their struggle is. What comes from that, what, could, what can come from that in terms of health is just so much, you know, more possible when you meet them with what they're struggling with and help them on their, you know, on their terms and on their path and not try and drag them to the other path. Totally. So you just wrote a book recently on domestic violence. Um, is this a topic that always interested you? Is this something that you were thinking about for a while? Can you kind of walk um, us through? Well, I've been working in the field um, for about 25 years. And the first 10 years that I was working, I worked at Victim Services, actually, which is a large social service agency in the city. They have offices in all five boroughs. And I was working very much with victims of rape, incest, and domestic violence. Um, And 
sort of got connected with Shalom Task Force, which is an organization in the Orthodox community that was starting out um, at that time about, let's say, 20 years ago, um, and they really were looking for someone to help supervise their hotline. And so I started doing even more work in the Frum community in domestic violence specifically, and sort of at some point it just became necessary to put my thoughts and my, you know, the things I was finding that I was saying over and over the same exact things to every client, you know, down on paper, not even thinking book, just thinking catharsis, get it out there, get it down on paper. Um, and that turned into, hey, why not have, why not make uh, make something out of this mess of papers and create a resource specifically for the from community on the subject of domestic abuse. My father-in-law, uh, Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tversky, had written something already called The Shame Born in Silence about domestic abuse, and this was sort of um, a more of a self, self-help. His was more of an awareness raising, and this was sort of, you know, let me have a, a self-help resource out there. Um, on domestic violence for the from community specifically, because there are great books out there otherwise, you know, in the secular world. But again, we're, we're trying to meet specific needs in a culture, culturally competent way. And, and so that's just how it kind of evolved. What's something that would go in a book about domestic violence specifically for the from community that wouldn't be a concern or an issue for just a general book on domestic violence? Um, somebody who, one of the tactics, let's say, in the abuse includes, you know, distortion of halacha or a woman's, you know, not feeling as comfortable calling the Rav uh, about a question or her husband telling her that she's not allowed to X or Y or Z and feeling like she would want to reach out and she would want to find out if that's true or to reach out and not feeling comfortable doing that, worrying about um, how the Rav might view her, wanting to know if she would reach out, what's the best way, like what do you need to know to make sure that you're clear or that you ask the question in a full way so that the Rav can understand what's going on, how to use or utilize or access a rub as your resource if you decide that you know you're you're trying to you know figure out how to how to make change not that the woman herself can make change but how can a rub help her when can he when can't he um, whether it's tactics you know in the in the family purity or tarasa mishpacha arena and challenges and and abuses that she might suffer in those arenas that would be maybe under the heading of sexual, you know, tactics of sexual abuse in in domestic violence in the outside world, but there are different connotations when you're also dealing with family purity laws, Tara Samashbacha. So, you know, there are differences. There are a lot of similarities, but there are differences and and other types of uh, challenges that women face. Um, I'm thinking about the title of the book, I'm So Confused, Am I Being Abused?, is this really an issue that most women aren't even sure if they're being abused? Is that is that where things are? I think are that because... yeah, for a lot of women, they are. You know, there's an education that says marriage is hard work, mm-hmm. and you know you're supposed to create this beautiful home, and you have a power and a responsibility as a Jewish woman to do that, and you know a lot of those lessons get taught as a blank, sort of a blanket statement, 
you know, there aren't qualifiers. Like, yes, we have that power and we have that ability, but not when the other person is working against you Hmm. outright. And so there are many, especially younger women who get married, and all of a sudden things are, oh, is this what it means when they say marriage is hard work? So Hmm. maybe I just work harder as opposed to, no, 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 there's a line, there's up until hard work, and then there's after that being abused, being mistreated, uh, being controlled, being dominated. And sometimes for some of the women, they're not sure when is it that I'm supposed to be working harder. Of course, if somebody's being hit, they're probably not saying that to themselves, although there are women who are being hit and being told that it's, you know, it's their fault. And because they aren't talking to anyone about it, they sort of get lost in the confusion of that. But I'm talking about, you know, before there's physical violence, there's other kinds of abuses and and other kinds of um, dominance that can be more confusing Hmm. to figure out. I think our community, even though the divorce rate has gone up over time, we still have a much lower divorce rate than the rest of the world. And so the balance between kind of just dropping a marriage like, you know, it's a pair of socks versus sticking in something, you know, staying in longer when it's abusive and not realizing it, I guess, is I'm just right. sort of thinking out loud. No, so what about, are, are there any programs going into high schools? As you're talking about this, I'm saying someone should be going into high schools and having some frank talks with girls that are, you know, about to get married in the next few years and letting them know yeah, well, the Shalom Task Force does have a uh, girls' high school seminary, post-seminary programs. Um, they go into high schools. They go to Israel. Um, there's an Israel program that goes into seminaries there. There are women that go into seminaries here. Um, so there definitely are people going into schools, and there definitely talk. Sometimes I'll give a talk um, to, to actually the, the dating girls, um, that age group, and there definitely are people giving talks on this and, and even going into schools, um, but it's not in every school. And sometimes, you know, the girl that's going to be able to really take that and own that and and sometimes loses that information in the midst of a courtship. Um, and then the courtship is, is sort of they might see something or might not see something because it's so subtle. But now they've had this big wedding, and now they just got married, and now shouldn't they just try a little harder? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, especially because it doesn't start with the worst right away. Mm-hmm. There's a progression usually uh, of, you know, tactics and escalation of the tactics. And so, but let me, you know, and then there are good times. Right. It's not all bad. So maybe if I just work harder, I could get those good times back. So the question is, is is it ever possible to see these red flags? Because on one hand, you could hear someone argue, you know, when you only meet someone a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's obviously a range of how long people should update everything from probably one meeting in the most right. circles to dating for many months right. in the shidduch system. Um, mm-hmm. um, I tend to be on the more, you know, several months dating Right, um, and so it's harder for me to understand the the less dating. Although there's a lot more vetting that's done, you know, when you're in the you know meeting less right. times thing. Mm-hmm. But then again, on the other hand, on the third hand, um, I know people um, who I have someone that I've worked with on some uh, shoots for uh, makeup, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and she had a situation. She was living with a guy. She was engaged to the guy, and he was hiding a whole bunch of awful things yep. that she discovered afterwards. So, do you think is it a is it a wash in the end? Our extra vetting, but meeting less. Do you think we do better overall? Like, do you have a sense of? Um, if our system is helping us or hurting us or it's just too hard to say? or Yeah, I, I don't think it's about whether the system is helping us or hurting us. I think that across the board, whatever kind of dating you do, you know, and I had a friend who dated her husband, I think three out of four years of college, got married right after college, and were separated within the year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's not a matter of what part of the system, I, you know, I, I was call my talks on the subject, intelligent dating, healthy marriages, because it's really not about dating longer. It's about dating smarter. Um, And I don't think, and I think that unless we have, you know, that education of what does that mean? How do we, how do we look for it? Having a good time doesn't necessarily mean that you're emotionally compatible or that the things that you saw that bothered you aren't really important because we had such a good time. But there has to be a conversation about this and there has to be an education about it. Um, and I think that there's definitely, not I think, I know that there's definitely been feedback of people who've reached back out because they were dating and because they were saying, uh-oh, and had had some talk somewhere, whether it was Shalom Task Force or, or somewhere else, and something clicked, and they said, uh-oh, and they reached out, they reached out to the hotline, they reached out to a therapist, and they were concerned, and there is definitely a lot more of that going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know about the higher divorce rate, but we don't necessarily have statistics or a way of tracking, hey, what about those girls who are, you know, would otherwise have not, you know, had a sense and just gone forward who said, or boys, who said, whoa, 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 there's something off here. You know, we don't really have a way of tracking that, um, but we've definitely gotten anecdotal feedback that, you know, Shalom Task Force has gotten ad- anecdotal feedback. The hotline, I know, has gotten calls, um, you know, with girls saying, I'm concerned, or a friend of a girl who's dating, who's telling her story, saying, I'm concerned for my friend because of a workshop I went to. So it's definitely having an impact. Is it enough of an impact? What more could we do to have a better impact? You know, it's education, education, education. So, um, but it's definitely, it's definitely going somewhere. And I guess just now that kind of is a nice segue into, to close up the show, the final thought I'd like you to speak about. So 20 years, uh, Nefesh is around and, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like your career has been around for, you know, uh, you've been in the field for around that amount of time. Mm-hmm. What has, what have we been doing right? How have things gotten better? Are things getting worse in some areas or Kind of how have things changed in those last couple decades in right. terms of mental health in the I, community? I, I think that we're only doing things better. Um, you know, even looking at the conference as an example, you know, we've we've just upped our ante. We, you know, we we know the old timers amongst us know what an invaluable resource it is, and wanting to encourage that for others. Um, we've this year for the first time created an early professionals and student track at the conference so that we can, you know, mentor and be there for the next generation of therapists. And I think that everything in the field is, is we've also created this separate MD track, so it's not just for psychiatrists, but it's also for frontline physicians mm-hmm. so that they can be better at identifying some of the psychiatric or mental health issues um, that, that might be in their office that they're not recognizing as psychiatric issues or would be better 
served to, to recognize them so there could be earlier intervention. Um, and I feel like everything like that, you know, is going on in the community. Sometimes it feels like things are worse because there's so much talk about it. But the fact that there's so much talk about it is, is part of the improvement. We didn't talk about these issues 20, 25 years ago. It didn't exist for all, for all intents and purposes. We didn't have a domestic violence pro- problem, right? Because, mm-hmm. no, that doesn't happen in our community. It's not, it's not that, you know, the problem is worse because we have a hotline. We know more about what's going on out there because there's a hotline, for example, in domestic violence. But it's the fact that there's awareness and that people can get help and people can reach out in whatever area, substance abuse, depression, OCD, all of these things, I think that we're, we're, we're turning out better trained professionals because we're bringing the trainings to a higher level, more professionals that can connect to someone from the community. The, the person in the community doesn't have to say, oh, I don't want to go. I'm going to have to sit and explain about, you know, Natila Sudayim to my, you know, therapist and, right. So, Lisa, thank you so much. I'm so sorry to cut you off. We are out of time this week. I just want to give everyone a quick plug one more time. So the Nefesh Conference is next week uh, on December 24th, 27th, and you can sign up at nefesh.org. Thank you so much for your time. Nefeshinternational.org. Oh, nefeshinternational.org. Okay. Um, and, uh, And thank you for listening, and we'll see you here same time, same place next week. Thank you.